Welcome to Wavelengths, a podcast with Amphenol Broadband Solutions. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Wavelengths, an Amphenol Broadband podcast. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B. And folks, thanks so much for joining us on another episode of the show. We're back with more timely conversations that are sure to be impacting your place in the larger broadband industry. Uh, But like we're seeing, we're in the middle of a revitalization period for our entire industry. And so we want to make sure that we're staying at the forefront of those conversations with our podcast episodes. So welcome back, folks. It's great to have you on. And if this is your first time joining us, hello, welcome to Wavelengths and make sure that you're subscribing to the podcast on Apple Podcasts and Spotify for uh, updates when we release new episodes, but also full catalogs of our previous conversations. Uh, if this is your um, you know, second or third time joining us on the podcast, or even if you're still a new listener, I want to make sure that you're going to our website as well. There's plenty of supplemental information there, uh, not only on the content we're going to be breaking down, but also more information about our solutions and services and how Amphenol fits into the larger industry. So make sure that you're going to our website, amphenolbroadband.com. Again, that's amphenolbroadband.com. Easy enough. All right, folks, let's jump into today's conversation. So on today's episode of the show, we're going to be exploring some of the major supply chain issues that are impacting the global economy. Uh, But more specifically, we're going to be analyzing how these supply chain disruptions are putting some dampers on various broadband deployments and initiatives across the United States. We've covered this in detail on the show already, but the industry is receiving millions in new federal funding for expanding rural broadband. It's truly an unprecedented moment for the industry. Uh, But even back in August of last year, right, August 2021, electric co-ops and other telecom players were already calling out shortages in things like fiber optic cables and electronic equipment because of supply chain disruption. Fiber cable is still in short supply today due to increased demand for more robust internet, uh, as well as disruption to the raw materials supply chain. Some of the quoted delays are so bad uh, in some of the uh, other reports that I checked out before today's conversation. Uh, They're even saying that there are lead times of up to 100 weeks, right, which is crazy. Uh, That's years of delay now on uh, new projects. And they're citing sort of a hoarding dynamic in keeping fiber optic cabling off the market. So that's just one of the uh, various issues impacting the supply chain. And we're going to be digging into some other ones like uh, international trade dynamics as well as specific port congestion. But if the industry is to confidently put uh, an unprecedented amount of federal dollars to good use, expanding the quality of broadband across the U.S., as well as increasing access to underserved and rural areas and communities, then it's paramount that we figure out some action plans for maneuvering these international COVID shutdowns, tariffs, local port congestions, climate initiatives, et cetera, that are all disrupting the broadband supply chain. So today's conversation is going to offer some starter analysis, uh, as well as some strategic points on where the industry can take action, uh, as well as get a better understanding for what the short-term and the long-term supply chain disruptions are, right, uh, and how to weigh those in uh, some kind of response strategy. So here to help us unpack this trend and give us that analysis and that uh, actionable strategic perspective is Mr. Barry Holt. He's vice president of global cable operations for Amphenol Broadband. Barry, great to have you on. How are you doing? I'm good. 
Nice to see you, Daniel. Yeah, always a pleasure getting to pull uh, insights from the ABS team. Uh, you know, I'm always uh, very excited to get our third parties onto the show. We've had plenty of, um, you know, non-ABS uh, guests on the podcast, but, uh, you know, it's always good to bring it back in-house too, because our specific operations here at ABS intersect in a lot of unique ways with the supply chain. Why don't we just go ahead and start there? Can you give our audience, uh, I guess, just kind of a pulse check on not only your work, but also how ABS uh, has cross-sections across the uh, broadband supply chain, right? Uh, just so that we get a better sense for um, the perspective that you're going to be offering on the podcast today. Yeah, we're we're global presence. You know, over the years, we've uh, branched out like everybody else. We have uh, plants in China, uh, Vietnam, Korea, Brazil, Mexico, uh, United States and Canada. So I'd say over the last 15, 20 years, we kind of diversified to give both better supply chain, but also steady uh, materials without uh, without any delays. You know, that, that changed with the tariffs back uh, two or three years ago, really kind of changed the dynamic. Um, the 25% tariff on a lot of the products importing came fairly quickly. And for, I think it affected everything global. Uh, for many years, almost everything went back to China. And uh, that was a steady supply chain and the world was really set up for that. And, um, you know, as that came in, it really changed the dynamics. It forced us to to really look at other countries, see, you know, about the supply. But through that period of time, it created such a congestion, you know, it was kind of the perfect storm between COVID, um, you know, container shortages. There was a long period of time where the world was shut down, you know. So I think it really highlighted the fact of how small the world is. Everything's joined very tightly and anything major like this interrupting it has an effect on everybody's lives. Um, and some of that is a delay. There's a delay of, uh, you know, we see it instantaneous, but the consumer might be a year down the road or six or seven months down the road. And I think they're just starting to feel now the general public what we've been dealing with over the last year and a half. Perfect. Thank you for that context, Barry. What we're going to do now is get into the specific disruptions across the supply chain uh, that are, uh, you know, most connected with ABS's work and, um, you know, some of the uh, most acute challenges that are impacting your clients as well. So we're going to talk international trade dynamics as well as specific port congestion for today's podcast. So we're going to start with uh, some internal domestic policy that is shaping the supply chain for broadband projects. So the Biden, uh, excuse me, the Biden administration clarified some guidance on the Buy America sourcing requirements. Uh, here's what they said, quote, all iron and steel used in the project are produced in the United States. This means all manufacturing processes from the initial melting stage through the application of coatings occurred in the United States. And this is basically indicating that uh, you know, major steel projects are going to need to be sourced by steel producers, uh, as well as sort of the ecosystem that makes that steel ready for market uh, here in the United States, right? So how is this single dynamic impacting some costs for things like new towers and uh, the overall speed of deploying new infrastructure? What are some of the touch points that your company as well as your clients are having with this dynamic? 
It's a, I, I think the right idea, you know, to try and buy made in America, but there's a lot of chains, even uh, South America, Mexico, even in North America, Canada is a major supplier. Um, and it's, it's okay to shift that, but those, those uh, changes disrupt the supply chain that's been there for many years. So what you're doing is really taxing local manufacturing to increase capacity. And that hasn't been seen in many years. Um, some, some parts are also specific. Some things you buy, some, some things you always import. So I think over, over the last year and a half through this and these changes has really kind of uh, put a lot of pressure internally and externally to find, you know, what, what can work inside these measures. Uh, and I, I don't think the picture is real clear yet. What it has done is it's uh, created backlogs, you know, for basic stuff. Sometimes uh, basic copper and aluminum could be, you know, six, eight, ten months delivery. We're also seeing stuff where we're trying to find new suppliers or switch to local suppliers in the United States. And some of those people aren't even taking orders. You know, they've got a backlog of, you know, 12 to 18 months and a set set of customers that they're trying to supply but this huge uh, requirement in a short period of time, it's just going to take time to adapt to. And we're, we're definitely seeing, I, I know in my career, I've never contacted a supplier asking them if they'd like to quote, and the answer is no. You know, they're just, you know, partly because they don't know when you're quoting out 12, 16 months, what is the cost of the material going to be at that? What is the backlog? How am I going to handle my current customers? So, you know, this push you know, should have probably been phased in or, you know, changed, but uh, it's going to take a long time for the market to react. And um, some of these people are, you know, some of the local suppliers, maybe the tariffs will go away. You know, some of these tariffs and some of this push, maybe with the change in administration, you know, that opens up again. So if you're local and you really want, do you really want to spend a huge amount of capital to double your capacity and it's going to take you a year and a half to double capacity. And then you're going to realize that, you know, okay, the tariffs went away and now you can import and everybody switches back. So there's, there's a lot of uh, indecisions, you know, in a time when everything's needed to put any restrictions on is not the way it's been done for many years. Ideally, you know, if you're trying to expand um, the broadband like you are now and you're closing doors instead of opening doors, it's just the opposite. You would think that regardless of how you want to get it done, um, those those should be open. So I, I think we're closing doors at a time when the uh, when the demand is is huge. So similar dynamic here uh, in you know trying to draw as much of the global manufacturing presence that the United States is dependent on back onto American shores. Uh, we actually saw high tariffs already shaping the industry before the Biden administration. Uh, the previous Trump administration implemented 25% tariffs on steel imports from countries like China. And that ended up turning a lot of manufacturers to local suppliers anyways, you know, maybe uh, several years before the COVID pandemic hit. Uh, this included local suppliers like Nucor, U.S. Steel, etc., did you see this dynamic insulate against some of the more recent disruptions or, uh, you know, did they 
compound, I guess, how did you see that sort of previous phase of bringing, um, you know, partnerships with steel suppliers back home? How's that shaping the current environment today? I think some of it was brought home, but some of it was moved out of China into other countries. Mm. So you saw like more of a, you know, Vietnam, some of these places, it switched into there. But what it did create is it added to, you know, a massive import problem with the LA ports. So I know we're, we're going to move into that, but it's, you know, a lot of it wasn't local, you know, uh, because of certain restrictions. Some of it was pushed global just outside of China. But then you had all kinds of problems, like you moved it to countries where the containers are not sitting. So, you know, you shut down China and it's if you look globally, there's only a certain amount of shipping containers in the world. And these are in a constant move, like uh, a train. So now you had where imports are cut down out of China over a period of time and they've got a huge amount of containers sitting there. Then you move some of this business to other countries. They don't have the empty containers it creates this dynamic, what we've seen on the cost of containers. Uh, we used to import containers from Vietnam for $3,000 two and a half, three years ago. Today, they're $24,000. And there's we're running into issues that we've never seen before. Uh, the LA port is so busy that we can't get bookings. So first, you couldn't get containers in because of it was so busy. Well, now, if you get it offloaded, it moves to the next stage, which is trucking, importing, customs, and everything. So we're seeing uh, sometimes our containers, after they're taken off the ship, sitting in L.A. port for 45 days on top of the shipping time that was here. And we just can't book uh, pickup times. The uh, There's not enough trucks. There's not enough capacity. You know, so they're... They're dealing with these things, but that's it's stretching, you know, the whole supply chain. Like you mentioned in the first, now you're into, you know, things that are a hundred weeks. You know, it's uh it's 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 I don't know where it catches up, but some of this, you know, we've we we move some local, but we also move some to other countries that were tariff free. Uh, partly because of capacity. You know, other countries had the capacity and the United States has to add the capacity. So we were we were caught in between with those, um, and it's it's going to continue. I'm not really sure. The ports are almost completely automated, you know. So if you look at them, you know they pick and place, and they use robots. And so you can't just add thirty or forty percent capacity to it, and especially in a time when uh, chips and stuff, you can barely get a, a new car now. So if you think you're the port of L.A. and you're going to add 30% more robots, you know, you might have been be able to buy that off the shelf before. But now, you know, maybe the delivery of those is, is a year or more, which meanwhile, there's no no relief uh, in the short term. So it's it's all tied together like a like a perfect storm, I guess you would say. Just to stay on tariffs for a little longer, are there any other tariffs uh, that are either being implemented by the United States or by some of our other frequent trade partners like Mexico or China, et cetera, right? Uh, that you think the industry needs to be adapting to or keeping in mind in relation to how it's going to continue to impact uh, coming broadband infrastructure projects. Thoughts? I think a more and more is moving into Mexico. 
I uh, think there's more of a focus on North America content. Um, but you have to realize that Mexico is at tariffs for a long time, you know, to protect uh, a lot of different things import from other countries. And what this has is it's created kind of a, a lack of raw materials, I would say, in Mexico. So they're behind the time on importing raw materials, uh, having local sources. So a lot of the roads always went to China. Um, you know, most manufacturers of raw materials and stuff moved to China many years ago, and that includes ones that are in Mexico. So some of, the, some of these tariffs that Mexico's had for a long time are now making it a little more difficult to just switch to Mexico and import. So it's um, definitely more and more, I think there's a little bit of animosity between the U.S. and Mexico, but, you know, as a partner, um, they really need to open up some of their tariffs or reconsider them. But that's we're we're definitely seeing that more of a push to manufacturing in Mexico. But there's also still a huge lag in raw materials local in Mexico. So if you're importing them, then again you're just adding to the ports congestion, trying to bring them in. So yeah, that's uh, I, that one's. I, I think that's an obvious uh, change. People are saying, you know, let's let's move more to Mexico. We're not going to have to deal with the ports and everything. But it's. Uh, but it's not so easy. The raw materials just aren't there yet. Well, speaking of, you almost teed me up perfectly there. Uh, we're going to chat raw materials and how uh, a couple of key port congestion challenges are shaping the larger broadband supply chain. So first, uh, we'll look domestic. The port of LA is facing some major disruption of its own as thousands of dock workers and their union went into major negotiations uh, demanding higher wages and limits to cargo handling automation with the port operators. Uh, this is expected to take weeks, uh, if not months, to reach an agreed-upon contract from the two parties, which could put a pause on the U.S.'s most important port region. 29 ports are in the broader port of LA, and this hosts about 40%, 40% of U.S. seaborne imports. Uh, so let's unpack this, right? What are some of the most important broadband-related materials or goods that are flowing through the port of LA right now? Give us that pulse check. So there's still, still a lot of supply from overseas on uh, fiber optic jumpers, you know, but there's also a lot of raw materials, aluminum, copper wire. A lot of this is imported through the LA port and has been. Um, we do some semi-finished semi products of cable that come from Vietnam and other countries. And these are all caught in that, in that, um, in that congestion there. And I, I think what people don't realize, you, you get in, like when you import even a raw material from a foreign country, you're one or two months on the water, you know, you're, you try and keep one or two months in stock. Plus at the supplier, they've got to keep one or two months. So there's kind of a six months train of, of progression to get that to your door into your manufacturing plants locally. And any change is, is six months out. So, you know, you can change to another port, you can try, you know, but there's six months of stock tied up in that train that you really can't do anything with. You've just got to wait it out. So we, we've been making changes for the last year and a half, really other ports where we went to the, uh, went to the East Coast and Northfolk, 
you know, we're kind of bringing in through Texas, we're in through Mexico, even Vancouver in uh, Canada. But all of these things aren't quick. You know, when you make a change today, that's it's really for six months down the road before you see any significant change. And, you know, through the LA and what you have there, you also have that inventory tied up. So you, if you take a chance on another port, you're effectively doubling your your inventory to bring it in. And then this this adds up over time. Um, so there is there is a lot caught in that in that port. And I think it was the most efficient um, and the quickest way in a lot of ways. So everybody used it, obviously. Um, but now it's it's not so easy to change. Other ports are congested. The Texas ports are almost the same now, um, you know, and we're seeing even the Mexico ports. And I, I think for the strike and, you know, the possible strike or the negotiations, uh, it's perfect time for them. They've been extremely overworked for the last two and a half years. If they were going to negotiate some kind of change, this would be the the biggest leverage point they would have. So it's it's not surprising that they're they're using that card. And, you know, considering we're in the middle of a national labor wave right now, right, we're seeing a lot of um, militant labor action from uh, retail industries and now, of course, you know, here uh, in the port of L.A., how should the broadband industry strategize around some of these domestic disruptions um, to the global flow of goods, right? Considering a lot of this energy is probably going to persist, so even if negotiations come through, there is a possibility that there are more labor disruptions. And on top of that, uh, people have been citing labor shortages in the larger supply chain for a while now in various key sectors. Just give me your thoughts there on sort of the future outlook of the intersections between labor and, uh, you know, maneuvering the supply chain. It's a, the labor is, is a huge issue now. You know, I, I think through COVID, a lot of people work from home. And uh, a lot of people didn't go back. I was reading some of the stats not too long ago. Some cities are as high as 45% of the people are still working from home. And it, it's really changed the dynamic, what we've seen. In our factories, we're seeing, you know, sometimes you're looking for five or six people. You don't, you only get two or three applications. So, you know, the, the places that are unionized and pushing um, I, you're right. I think they're going to continue because there's uh, less people wanting to enter the workforce. They're being much more selective on what jobs they have. You know, I, I think loosening the borders is the way to go. I, I think you have to realize that at a certain point, even making everything in North America is, is you know, seems like the right thing. There's, it can't be across the board. There's, there's some jobs you're just not going to fill in the United States. Um, your basic manufacturing, you're not, you're not really going to move some of those products here. There's people don't want those jobs. You know, that was the advantage of importing for so many years is to add to that pool, but there's lots of other countries that aren't having this severe labor crisis that we are, but it's a, it's a turning point. You know, I, I think people are really stepping back and do I want to go into certain jobs? You know, if I can just work from home, I, I think it opened the door. I think. Four years ago, if you had said, you know, 25, 30% of the country would be working from home, I think people would have laughed at it. But I think now that people are doing it, that, that creates a new dynamic. And if the jobs you have out there, you can't fill. Like now, you, you can't drive anywhere. Every store has a, play, has a sign out front saying, 
you know, labor wanted, job wanted, you know, there's increased benefits, there's increased wages and everything, but you're, you're, you're not going to get to the point that you fill all those. I, I think we, you know, closing the doors is, is wrong. I, I think there's, there's an advantage in the end. You're the only ones that get hurt ourselves. So I, I think as far as uh, the tariffs and stuff have a kind of a reverse effect, how are you going to fill these jobs if you're not here? And these labor unions are going to be stronger and stronger um, because it's a limited pool of resources. The threat is if you can't even fill the open jobs, um, the threat of losing the people that are working is a pretty powerful negotiation. And I, I think it's going to continue. I, I think the only thing is to, is to look that you have to, you have to make things freer. You have to open up some of the tariffs you need to be able to import more freely. And it's, I think the fear that it's taken away um, North American jobs, I don't think is totally valid. You know, what it's, what it look at, what's going on with the labor. And as you go forward, it, there doesn't seem to be a shortage of jobs, you know, and there's specific jobs people want and there's specific pe jobs that people don't. And that's, that's just going to be the way it's going to go in the future for sure. There are, people are going to have a choice. All right, Barry, we have more to unpack in this conversation, including a deeper dive into some of the challenges we're seeing overseas with our major trading partner, China. However, we're going to go ahead and take a quick pause here. So folks, this is going to be part one of a two-part conversation with Barry. So what you're going to want to do is make sure that you're subscribed on Apple Podcasts and Spotify so you don't miss our follow-up conversation where we continue to unpack the major supply chain disruptions that are shaping the broadband industry and how you should strategize. So again, make sure you're subscribing on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and heading to our website, amphenolbroadband.com. We'll be back with Barry Holt, VP of Global Cable Operations for Amphenol here very soon. Until then, I'm your host, Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B, and we'll catch you on part two of this conversation of Wavelengths.